Namaste everyone. Once again, I have Joel with me. We've done three episodes already. In the first one, he talked about how Hindu phobia is, he is analyzing, his organization is analyzing in a very scientific, analytical way, uh, using artificial intelligence, using natural language processing, looking at the social media, how different memes come, how false information is spread, who does it, who spreads it, when, it's, when is it human, when is it bots, and what is the impact, what are they trying to achieve, and what they actually end up creating on the ground in terms of violence, in the, in the, in the form of hate speech, uh, or all kinds of prejudices, uh, and, and inter-cultural or inter-identity, inter-religious violence also. So, uh, this is his specialty, and in this episode, we're going to talk about a very important person, and the role of social media. This is a this is a person named Afia Siddiqui, mm -hmm. a very uh, intelligent, educated uh, woman from Pakistan uh, who got a degree in MIT. She's a medical degree kind of person. Uh, and uh, after all that, she went and joined the Islamic uh, revolution, a, a Taliban worker, and uh, got, got herself arrested in, in, uh, in Afghanistan. And now she's sitting in a jail. Yeah. with a long-term sentence uh, so for terror for terror yeah. as a terrorist so tell us tell us about her first and then we'll discuss the role of social media later well she's an unusual case well it's, it's actually not that unusual you know the, the profile of terrorists is often people who are quite act who are quite not just active but intelligent and usually well educated and from good homes and usually often, from very very often the case it's a misconception that these are sort of like ruffians like many right. of them are very sophisticated so you know, she was arrested for attacks against uh, U.S. military and, and plotting terror. And, um, and, and what happened was a movement sprung up, the Free Afia movement, that uh, she's al-Qaeda operative. And the idea with that with, with free, was that her, her arrest was unjust um, and that, that um, she's seen kind of as a martyr to some extent for, for, uh, for many who are ISIS or al-Qaeda supporters. Now, there was... Now a, she was killing U.S. troops in yes, Afghanistan. that's right. So it's a pretty serious thing she did. Absolutely. And you, and you know, even the image that, that there is of uh, Al-Qaeda, it's all sort of masculine machoism. You don't expect women. I mean, this is very well, strange also. Yeah. Well, that's what makes her so appealing is that, you know, she's, she's a striking young lady who's extraordinarily intelligent and, and well-spoken. And I think that there's a romantic component to the movement that's seeking to free her. They see her as, you know, emblematic of who they want to be and how they want to be seen. So we, we uh, you know, there was an attack, of course, in Coleyville in Texas that was associated with the, the, uh, the Free Afia movement. And this, this occurred, I think, last year. And this, was it, maybe it was two years ago. No, it was, it was last year. It was, it was uh, early last year this, this occurred. And, um, you know, the, the attack in Coleyville, Texas, there was a Pakistani national, um, Malik, Malik Akram. Um, so he was there, where he was in Pakistan or he, he was in Texas. He was a Pakistani who uh, was, you know, was uh, in initially it was he spent some time in England um, and then uh, ended up in uh, in Texas, uh, okay. playing in Texas. So, you know, how, how there was a synagogue that that, that Malik Akram targeted and he came in and held up four people there at gunpoint and ended up at a standoff with local law enforcement. Um, the, the rabbi there had been trained in what to do during these hostage situations and, you know, ended up throwing a desk at Malik and they all ran out and, and they, they got away safely. Malik was killed in, in a firefight with uh, law enforcement officials. Um, but, you know, obviously the fact that, that uh, a foreign national 
would come all the way to Texas um, and, and execute this in order to free Afia Tzatziki, which is something very few people are, were even that familiar with. Yeah. So we want to understand if, if there could be interactivity between social cyber signals that were occurring online and, um, and, and these kinds of lone wolf behaviors that we were seeing, because it's not as though Siddiqui is that well you know, known here in the United States or, or that well celebrated. So we did an analysis of the free Siddiqui movement, and we noted that there was spikes of activity in the months preceding this, this attack. So there's quite a lot of agitation online about Siddiqui. Now, wouldn't you know it, there were, there were groups in America here in, in Texas, there was a, a, an outfit called CARE, um, here in America, there's the, the That's council. Very famous, very big, very powerful. Tell us about it, those guys. So CARE is the Council of American Islamic Relations. Right. And uh, they are a very well-funded and powerful organization. They're an advocacy group. Um, and they were hosting events in Texas with, for, the, for freeing Afia Siddiqui and, and putting rallies around that and organizing mobilizations and protests and and kind of churning up this old issue. It turns out that the, the head of, uh, of care in Texas was actually one of Siddiqui's previous attorneys. Mm. And um, uh, maybe it was a previous head of care. I'm not sure it was the acting head at the time. In any case, they became very involved in this. And, and as they started promoting events around Texas, there was a network of self-identified Pakistani accounts that seized on this, um, on the hashtag, on this kind of free Afia activity. Um, these were, there were Salafists, there were a lot of uh, Salafist influencers um, that were involved with this, and there was a lot of uh, what, we, what we determined to be inauthentic activity that was amplifying this, much of it coming from Pakistan. Now, the, the intriguing part about this is that amongst the events that care, there, there was a kind of, whenever you have a social graph of activity there, you, you often have what's called a central node. Mm, yes. so a central node, which is like you're kind of the most connected between all the other graphs, well, all the other uh, um, nodes in the graph. Well, the central node, it turns out on this graph, was a Twitter account that was, th that from, the, from this Pakistani group, was a, a Twitter account that was being promoted by CARE in Texas. Wow. And like the chances of that happening randomly are incredibly small. Yeah. And so what we saw was that there was, there was clear signs of interconnectivity between, between these groups. And then as those social cyber signals calling, many, many of them anti-Semitic, you know, calling for the freedom of, of Afia were occurring online, within weeks of this, you see some Pakistani national showing up you know, at a synagogue and prepared to, to, to stage an attack. So you have an entire campaign being orchestrated in the real world. By a major organization. By a major organization that's churning out this kind of meme. And we talked about the way that memes kind of can create ideation. Right. That they, they prepare the ground for right. action because they're, ide they're ideating. Right. So while you have that, you have this, uh, this activity in Pakistan that's, that's really churning up the volume in a really volatile way. I mean, that stuff, the stuff that, that, that they're putting out online is, is extremely demon demonizing and highly anti-Semitic. And then you have a Pakistani national with this information exchange happening between Texas and Pakistan. You have some Pakistani nationals showing up in Texas and attacking a synagogue um, in you know, pretty close to Dallas in a, in a fairly, and you have to really you know, go out of your way to get there. This was really considered. So 
you know, all of this, you know, is, is there a smoking gun there? Well, not exactly. You know, we can't say for sure that this is a state operation by Pakistan to, you know, in, to do etc. Et we, we can't say for sure that that care knew that this was going to happen. But, but with the social cyber domain, it creates a lot of opportunities and avenues for network to network communication with a lot of winks and nods. And, you know, it allows for the individuals. But CARE has been in legal trouble in the U.S. before. Absolutely. Well, CARE has, has made a lot of statements that uh, CARE officials have made statements that have, you know, have been perceived as highly anti-Semitic in, in recent history. And, 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 uh, and linked with violence. In fact, saying that, like, you know, we should be monitoring or, or uh, we should be um, uh, scrutinizing or uh, they use more, they use harsher language than this. I just don't want to misstate that here on, while we're on air. But maybe we can find the quote afterwards and put it up. But they were saying, essentially, that like we should be, we should we should take note of these Zionist infiltration synagogues, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, kind of already saying that synagogues are kind of hotbeds of, of uh, of, of hostile, um, invas invasive. So just to let you know, uh, I've had interactions concerning care. care. Uh, with respect to their their uh, uh, ideas on Hindu Hinduism and Hindu phobia, uh -huh. and they've been very actively a lot of uh, Hindu phobic people, both Muslims and ultra left, have mm -hmm. been associated with care. Yes, and they attend their events and they talk about. So they kind of feed care, and care might have. I'm not sure, but they might have a large South Asian component of people who are managing it in this country. Yeah, look, the, the, I, I think that it goes far beyond the the scope of the research that we did to understand how American 501c3 organizations play into the ecosystem of radicalization or polarization that can churn out, um, that can that can kind of reliably churn out these kinds of problems. Um, and I think we were very careful in the report to make that limitation as clear as we could possibly make it. Um, but we know that 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 there have been a lot of funding issues. An investigation around like the the involvement of foreign funding in organizations like CARE, and that you know that that remains a kind of consistent challenge um, to because the five hundred one c three system offers a great way for people for nation states for for is there is there foreign funding Saudi or Qatari or where is it from? Well, I mean the the that goes beyond again that goes beyond the sort of the report that we did um, and but I mean what we what we did do was we spoke to the chief of intelligence for Coleville. And he ended up, you know, talking to us about this report. And really, the you know, when they're encountering problems like this, um, they're not looking for any of the social cyber signals that we found. They're not looking for Pakistani involvement. They're not seeing the role of the institutions that are taking shape and how that's all being orchestrated through the social cyber domain, right? So even though that's all happening publicly, law enforcement officials who have to manage the safety of Hindu temples, who have to manage the safety of 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 uh, synagogues and churches um, and, and, and mosques, right? They don't understand how these houses of worship have become a front line in a war that they know very little about, where the players and so actors is, who are- This is also a legal issue of what's the <coughs> causal relationship and boundary between free speech, which is hate speech, and hate crime. Well, it's a good question. I think a lot of people turn, I, I think going back to the discussion we've had, we've started having already, a lot of these issues around hate could rapidly be resolved around authenticity. Right. You know, people are their worst selves. We know this. Yeah, when because people, because part of the game is to engage in hate speech and create violent, violence without being 
linked and connected. Absolutely. Because the, the dream everyone has is the dream of invisibility. You know, the, the ability to sort of act but not be seen. You know, the privilege of being able to cause the problems you can't be blamed for. Right, right. It's a fantasy every child has. You know, and, and the internet, it, when, whenever we know from social psychology that whenever you have people who aren't, who their, where their reputation isn't at stake in their behavior, it will always incentivize the worst behaviors. Because our moral sensibilities all arrive from, from the need we have to protect our reputation. Right. And, and once, those, once that's out, so is a lot of the, the, the constraints that we have on our Well, then behavior. the bad guys have to be openly bad. Yeah. Like the, the, the Bin Laden type. They have to openly come out and say, hey, listen, this is what I believe. But at least you know that. Yeah, exactly. And, and robbed of that, that capacity, what, what we're left with is like the ability, you know, what we're left with is really, really hateful ideas with no one responsible for them. So I think that's, you know, that it goes back to the, I think the point we're making about the need for authenticity, that it's not so much the speech issue as much as it is the, 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 uh, the way in which covert efforts and agitation by, by the worst ideas and powerful nation states and extremist groups, like they, they create an inability for people to meaningfully interact. Right. And, and, have, and instead of talking to a human being, you're talking to a meme, you're talking to a threat. Right. So this is, this is very important. This is the fourth case study we've looked at that you mm -hmm. have uncovered. The first was Hindu phobia in general. Yes. The second was this uh, Leicester uh, riots in, uh, riots in, uh, in England between Hindus and Muslims, how yep. they were instigated. And then the third was Khalistan and the fourth is this. That's exactly right. And, and through, these, through these examples, what we've done in a hierarchical fashion is describe the different mechanisms right. that are at root in the ways that... that uh, violence takes place against ethnic communities and vulnerable communities from the social cyber domain. In each case, what we've seen is that the social cyber domain becomes an intrinsic and in necessary component in order for the tactic of violence to succeed. Whether that's populist mobs that are taking advantage of, of malicious narratives on social media in order to incite additional violence or organize it, whether that's deliberate networks and state actors that are conjoined in order to influence specific outcomes of violence in ways that are directed towards specific targets regularly all over the world. Or whether that's lone wolves who are being inspired by violence or perhaps worse, you know, being, being suggested by intelligence agencies or others to attack based on a, a, a groundswell of propaganda and hatred that's being churned up ahead of time, right? In each of these cases, I think what we see are mechanisms where violence becomes instrumental across several different modes of organization in order to fulfill the ideation and memes of the online climate.